top three festivals in the world, very prestige, and it was my first film festival. Like, except of the one that I had as a kid in high school, but that was the first big one. And I decided I'm doing it all right. I'm like going all in and I got clothes from a designer in Israel. And in exchange of her giving me the clothes, I promised her a picture of me on the red carpet. What I didn't know is the red carpet has two guards on each side 24-7. So you can't just go on the red carpet unless you're going in a big like Hollywood premiere. And I was like, okay, I have to do it. I promised her a picture. So I was wearing this beautiful blue dress and my hair was done, my makeup was done. And I came to the garden. I was like, very nice. It was right before an Hollywood premiere. And I was like, can you just have a few moments on the red carpet? I'll just take a few pictures and I'm, I'm, and I'm out. I promise I'll do it very quickly. And I was like, okay, okay, do it very fast, but just a few minutes. And I, I got into the red carpet and I started taking pictures. My friend was taking my pictures and people saw me with this dress on the red carpet right before the, the premiere is starting. So they thought I, might, I, I must be an actress. So they kind of started taking my pictures. And what I did was I start posing for them. And when I start posing for them, the paparazzi came and start taking my picture and start posing for the paparazzi. And I was like doing that and that and on my back. And, and the guard was laughing so hard that he couldn't even come and kick me out of there because he was so enjoying this moment. And since that moment, I was walking around in the Berlinale like I'm this famous actress. So I found myself going to parties and people have to take pictures of me. And I start like for 15 minutes, I took pictures with people I don't know. And, or like the paparazzi start to follow me and I will like try to avoid them. And, and <laughs> I'm wondering like after that, when the paparazzi came to the editors and gave them my pictures, they were like, probably, who is that? Who the fuck is that? But I was like, I was, totally. that role. I was like, yeah. And I got to every Hollywood premiere, every celebrity party, every, like, I was rocking it, pretending that, you know, I was flipping my, my badge because it was a student badge. You couldn't get me anywhere. And I was just pretending to be this famous person. Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. This is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and performance coach. Every year, Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, I bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, to entrepreneurs with companies like DoorDash, Instagram, and YouTube, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. She made the Forbes Israel list in 2016 for the filmmaker and social activist category. She's an Academy Award-winning producer from Israel and owner of Rotem Alima Productions. During her career, she worked with large international brands like Reebok and HP, popular TV channels, as well as the highest government offices in Israel and single-handedly built her own successful production business. She produced six movies which were featured and received awards around the world, including the Oscar and the Israeli Academy Award. She's produced films like Once There Was a Girl and Paris on the Water and even produced the Saturday Night Live SNL for Israel. Please welcome my very special guest, Rotem Alima. Hi. <laughs> Very excited to have you here. Welcome to the show, Rotem. Uh, we were lucky enough to meet in Israel. We had an amazing time on the reality trip at first, and now I selfishly get the opportunity to reconnect with you and gives me, you know, this is why I love doing this because I get to reconnect with you and other members on the Forbes list. Gives us a specific reason rather than just the old typical meeting. Definitely. I am so excited that you reached out and we get a chance to talk. Very and excited to have you here. It's, it's my pleasure and it's an honor. Thank you. By the way, I just have to say the Israeli Saturday Night Live called Eretz Nederet. It's a different name, so just for the record. There you go. Well, we'll have to look it up. We'll put it in the show notes. And thanks for clarifying. And Rotem, before we dive into things in your work, where were you when you found out you made the Forbes list? Wow. I was 
actually waiting for the train from Tel Aviv to Natanya because my car was at the, at the shop and I got a call about it and I was shocked. I started dancing in the middle of the platform by myself, no music or anything. I just started dancing and people started looking at me and I didn't know what to do. I was so excited. And it was a new thing in Israel. It was the first time the list even existed in Israel. Before that, Israelis couldn't be on that list. So people didn't even understand what I want, but I was so excited. I started dancing and singing on my own <laughs> for the train. <laughs> and who was the first person you shared that proud moment with? My parents, of course. Mm, they must have been so my proud. Parents were, yes, they were very proud. And it was funny because at the same week, I was featured in like two lists. It was like the hottest single ladies in Israel and the Forbes 30 under 30. And I called my parents to tell them about the Forbes, but they heard about the other list first. So they were like, they didn't understand what's happening. Uh, it was funny, uh, but yes, they were very, very proud. Before we dive in a little deeper, take us back to the very beginning, where you're from, where you grew up, and the path that ultimately led you to where you are now, making it to the Forbes list. Because I know right now you're calling in from LA, but that's right. not where you're originally from. I'm from Israel. I grew up in a small town, very agricultural town. And I was the ugly duckling. I was the strange girl that always dreamed about being an executive producer. I was, since I was 12, I didn't know what executive producer means or what I need to do to become one, but that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in Hollywood and live in Malibu. And I didn't even know that Hollywood and Malibu are the same, are in the same place called LA, but that's what I wanted. And everyone was making fun of me all my life. They thought I'm crazy. I was really different. and. Since I was in high school, I started making movies. My first movie in high school uh, got to film festival and it, it was screened in, in like the Cinematheque in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And I was sure I got to the top and, and nothing could beat that. And joined the army, was in a combat unit on the border as a sergeant of operations. And then I traveled the world, I came back and I, for me, it was okay. I had this dream as a kid and now I need to be more focused. I signed up for business school and I said, that's what I'm going to do. And right before school started, I went with my ex to Tel Aviv University to check the engineering department. And I just felt it. My body just felt it. I was like, no, I can't go to business school. I need to go to film school right here. And I came there and I opened the door and I said, I'm here, we can start. And they were like, <laughs> no, the, it, you can't take it up <laughs> yet. They're like, the waiting list is too long. You can't do that. And I was like, no, but I want to do it. You don't understand. I need to be an executive producer. And the secretary of the department did the worst mistake of her life. I've given me her number and email, and I just reached out every single day at the same time. And, and I was like, listen, she, was, she gave me a plan B. She said, you can do that. I was like, no, I want a plan A. I want to be an executive producer. I want to study here. And she, I convinced her to, to let me meet the head of the department. I told her, if you would say no to me, I will give up. I will do the plan B and everything will be fine. But... I need a chance to, to, to see him, to talk to him, to convince him. He agreed. I met with him. He let me in. And I thought, okay, I'm finally there. I'm going to be an executive producer. I'm going to make my dream come true. But first year of university was very challenging. My professor used to push me down every single week. He told me how untalented I am, how nothing will ever come out of me. And now I just need to give up. And wow. I, I started believing him. I started, actually, it got into me. And from sitting on the first row saying, I'm going to Corn Care Hollywood. I'm going to be an executive producer. I'm going to do that and that and that. I'm going to win an Oscar. It, it was like I was every week going one row behind and one row behind. And by the end of the year, I was sitting at the last row next to the wall, just like that. Just please don't reach out to me. 
and he wasn't lazy. He climbed up the stairs. He was standing above me and he started to make fun of me again. And that was the moment that I decided by that point, I was like, I'm giving up. I'm not continuing. I'm not trying to apply to the production department. I'm, I'm done. You started but, to succumb to the narrative that he created for you. Exactly. But when he was there standing above me, making fun of me, I realized I can't give up. No way. And I was like, it was too late to make a movie for the committee to, to go to second year. But I was like, I was determined. I called my sisters. I was like, I don't know what you're doing, but we have a production meeting. I need you leave everything. I'm on my way. And we, the, the four of us were sitting. I, I gave them all kind of, you do that, you do that, you do that. They helped me produce it. I did this movie by myself, me, my ex, an actress and a makeup artist. And I did everything. I did the lighting, I shot it. I, I did every single thing on the set. And then I edited with an editor for a full week, all night, every night. We finished it at, in, in the morning. I was driving from one city to another, took a shower, ate breakfast, drove to Tel Aviv, came like exhausted, showing them my movie. And I was like, I want to be an executive producer. I want to win an Oscar. I want to do that. And I was sure I'm in. I was sure like they liked my movie. It seems like they liked me. There was one female. It was like four men and one female. And she was arguing with me about wanting to win an Oscar. And I was like, but that's what I'm going to do. I was like, I believed in that so badly. And she was like, you don't think your dreams are too high? And I was like, no, it's not a dream. It's a plan. I'm going to do it. Anyway, I was sure I'm in, and then results come, and it wasn't. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, if he doesn't think I'm talented, and they don't think I'm talented, maybe it's just a dream. Maybe it's just in my head. I need to rethink it. Because you thought, you thought this was an absolute winner. There's no way they're going to deny this one. This is yeah. a winner. I was sure. I was like, yes, I'm in. There wasn't even a question about that. And when I didn't, I was like, okay, I'm not appealing. I'm not, I'm done fighting. I fought so hard to be there. I'm done fighting. It shouldn't be so hard. You're exhausted so, at that point. Yes, I was exhausted. And, and what happened was I, just, I broke a flight with my friend and on my way to the airport, it was 2 a.m. On my way to the airport, I'm getting an email from one of the guys at the committee saying, I can't believe you didn't get in. I can't believe you're not appealing. You can't appeal anymore. But if you will allow me, I would love to do it in your behalf. Wow. And I start crying like crazy. Like I'm on the train. I feel there is a motive here with the train. I shouldn't take the train more often. <laughs> <laughs> that was a common theme, right? <laughs> and I start crying. Everyone thought that someone died. Everyone on the train was looking at me like someone died. I was I'm crying over here. <laughs> yes. And I said, yes, of course. All I need is one person to believe in me. Do it, please. And he did it. And he came. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because the appealing was in front of the head of the department. He saw my movie. He saw my work. He had a, a chance to be one-on-one -on -one with me and talk to me. And he was really impressed. And he didn't understand how I didn't make it. And I was determined to prove him right. I was determined to be the person he thinks I am. And since then, my career started to fly. Like the same year, second year of university, I was in a very prestigious prestige competition top five directors in Israel then the third year I was in the, at the Berlinale then my graduate film won the Oscar and the Israeli Academy Award then I started my company I started to produce TV shows and, and work with the Israeli president and and like big brands and Forbes and everything started to like happen finally after all of the time that I was struggling and you then, just needed one person to believe in you to get you to that. It didn't, it didn't matter how many no's you got. You only needed that one yes. Exactly. You know, that's what you need in life. Just one. One is enough. And after all of that, after like reaching the top in Israel, I got to the point that I was making a lot of money and I didn't need to prove myself anymore. And everybody knows me. And, 
it was everything become easy. I decided to pack my things, move to LA, start from scratch, hearing no's all the time. And I'm keep I keep working for this one yes, you know. I You got you, you got to the top of Israel and then you're like, you know what, this isn't this isn't enough. I'm on to the next Mount Everest I'm gonna climb. Decided to start fresh, go to LA where you're not as well known and build your production from scratch again, start all over. Exactly. That's what I, that's exactly what I did. People think I'm crazy. People still like my clients are come back to Israel. We miss you. Please come. I'm like, no, no, I'm here. I'm going to make it here. I have plans. I know what I want. And yeah, I'm, I'm here and I love, you know what? I love it. I love the challenge. I love working hard. I love hustling. I love proving myself. I just love it. I live How long has it been now that you've been in LA? I moved here um, September 2017. Okay, so still fresh. And um, what would you say is the biggest difference between living in LA versus living in Israel? Oh, there is a lot of differences. Um, first of all, Israel, especially for me, I grew up in a very small town. And then I moved to Tel Aviv, I moved to Rothschild, that is a community, Israel is very community oriented. Everyone is in everyone's business. Everyone will check on you. You you can walk on the streets and meet new friends. I was, like I lived in Rothschild. I would go on the street and literally meet new friends every day. And in here, at the beginning, it was very hard for me. I didn't have community. I didn't have friends. I was so lonely. I, I you know, and now, thankfully, I created my own community. I have a lot of friends. When I'm hosting Shabbat, it's like 70 people. Like I'm, Now I'm in a good place. But at the beginning, it was very, very hard. Shabbat I was, dinner every Friday. That'll always bring people together. Yes. Unless you have kafelta fish. Now, if you have kafelta fish, you're not going to bring people together. <laughs> no, I, had, I had my first kafelta fish this year on Passover. That was the first time I ever tried it. I never and the last time. <laughs> I actually, you know, most people don't know this about me. My mother was Catholic, but and she was a Catholicism teacher, but she knew that the the smartest, the best preschool of that time, a pre-primary school where we grew up was actually a Jewish uh, preschool is called Beth Israel. So mm-hmm. I actually went to a Jewish preschool even though my mom was a Catholicism teacher and I like, you know, kudos to my mom for just putting her own beliefs aside. She's like, no, I want to get him the best education. So I had a menorah. I had a yarmulke. I had Shabbat dinner every Friday. And we were also doing Christmas at home. I was so confused growing up. I didn't know what religion I was, which I think was a blessing in disguise. But I just remember, you know, the Shabbat dinners were great, except for the kafelta fish. I never, you know, there's something something about it. It's not I I agree. So I'm Sephardic Jew. We don't eat kafelta fish. Like for us, it's not a thing, and we eat like Middle Eastern food. And oh, I it's never- delicious! I mean, when I was in Tel Aviv, I was amazed. It was, it was beautiful. The food was amazing. The people were amazing. Really yeah. blessed. Yeah. So we so, have good food. Uh, yeah, you do. So <laughs> let me ask you a question because it just took this one moment for this guy to believe in you, and I think this is a valuable lesson for everyone, even you that's listening it doesn't matter how many no's you get you just need to get one yes and that can change the trajectory of your life your business your idea your your um you know your personal life as well your that one person that walks in your life could change your relationships forever and you just needed that one person to believe in you even when you didn't even believe in yourself at one moment that person gave you the confidence and said, you know what, maybe there is something that I'm not even seeing in myself. And you believed it from an early childhood age. So one thing I want to ask is, one, what, how did you even become inspired in Hollywood? And what movies were you watching as a kid? You're like, oh, I want to do this one day. Like, how did you even know what an executive producer was? And then two, what do you think was the biggest difference from when you were producing things and they weren't really catching attention and then what was the difference between that and when it finally caught on and what did you do differently so about how i knew i want to be a producer it's so weird because i can't even 
tell you what inspired me. Because up until I was 12, I wanted to be a judge. And then in one moment, it changed. I don't know why and how. And I was like, I want to be an executive producer. I want to do TV. And I was just, again, I was really different. I always had these big dreams. And I was, I was just, I was born different. I'm the youngest of six. And I basically kind of raised myself at that point. My parents were like in their 40s. They were done with having kids. My sister that is closer to age with me, she's 12 years older than me. So they were like done. So I was basically raising myself. And doing that, I just, I had no limitations. You know, I had no, I had boundaries. I had some, you know, rules to keep me safe. But other than that, nothing was blocking me. You saw no, anything was possible. The world exactly. was your oyster. My, the world was my oyster. And I was always this dreamy girl. Like, I remember in school, they were making fun of me. They were making songs about me being so like, yes, I'm going to conquer Hollywood. And when people were like basically surviving and my schoolmates were like, oh, I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to, I was like, no, I'm going to be a producer. Producer. I didn't know what producer is, but I heard some time, some person that was a producer and they thought, oh, that's cool. And that, okay, that's what I want to be. And I just knew it. I don't know how, I don't know why. I just knew. I didn't know what it is. But Did I you knew. have like a favorite movie growing up that you always used to watch or a favorite actress or actor? Uh, no, but I used to watch a lot of American TV shows all the time. Like, what I was your go-to favorite? Um, I don't know how to say the names in, in English, but like the one with Steve Urkel was the one that I watched a lot. Oh yeah, Steve Urkel, of course. Steve Urkel, uh, French Prince That's of Bel-Air. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with Will Smith and Steve yeah. Urkel was with Family Matters. Family Matters, yes. And the reason I wanted to live in Malibu was, there was, you remember the Olsen twins? Oh so yeah, they Mary Kate and Ashley, of course, with the full house. Right, but they had, a lot of, they had a, a lot of TV shows and all of them had the same story, but they were living in different places. And one of them, they lived in Malibu on the beach. And I saw that, I was like, that's where I want to live. I want to live in Malibu on the beach. That's where I want to be. Um, yeah, it's still a plan. I, I still plan to there get you go. There. You're very close. And what about um, the second question about how, what was the biggest difference between when your production was not doing so well, and then when it really hit the mark. Okay, I don't want to sound arrogant because I'm, I, you know me, I, you know I'm not, but everything I did got a lot of attention since my first one as a teenager. Uh, the thing is that in school, like those small videos that I did for that specific class, with, by the way, I still, I, now know that it wasn't about my work. It was about me being very outspoken, being very confident, being a strong woman, woman that it just is a misogynist and he just didn't like it. And apparently he did it a lot to a lot of women, not just me. Um, but not like trying to be modest. Thankfully, everything I did what got a lot of attention. I think one of my superpowers is like getting script and, and knowing if it's a good one or not. I was actually um, one of the people who chose, so in Israel, the funding for movies is different than in here. The government gives money to funds and the funds give money to the creators. And I was one of three people in one of the funds that chose yes, no, or maybe for scripts. So I did it when I was 27. Wow. Yes, I was very young. And they reached out to me and asked me, it was a funny story how it happened, but uh, they asked me to, to do it. And I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. I was overwhelmed and I was so grateful. And I did it for two years. It was amazing. And I think that's my, that's the, one of the things that makes me good at what I'm doing is that, is the fact that I can read a script and I can tell you if it's going to work and if not, and 
what do you need to change for that to be to become better identifying what's wrong with it what needs to improve or if it's just it's not worth the time or energy to move forward with that yeah that's a helpful skill and sometimes it sounds like you need those people in your corner in your room to fight for you because they're going to be willing to tell you what you need to hear not what you want to hear which is probably important in the you know hollywood industry if you will movie industry to make sure that you have people that you can trust that yeah i mean you probably meet i noticed this when one of my companies i co-founded was a nightlife promotion company and in the nightlife world which i'm sure is similar to hollywood you meet a lot of people that are materialistic and superficial and are just they could be taken as using you to get to the next level in their career for example or using you to get into that vip of the nightclub or get the free passes and you start to come to this point where you don't know who to trust and who not to trust who's your real friend and who's using you i mean how do you handle something like that in your industry it's a uh, very painful you just touch a very very sensitive subject <laughs> yes um one of the things that I am working on myself, like, you know, thankfully, Corona gave me the chance to really go deep with myself. And I did amazing self-development. I always do self-development, but I feel like the last few months were like on speed. And one of the things that I'm working on is releasing the anger of people that I started their career. And then when I came to ask for a favor, they said no. Um, it was very painful. And at the beginning, I was like, what is wrong with you? I gave you your first shot. I opened the door for you. And I'm not asking a lot from you right now. I'm asking very small, simple favor that you can do. And you say no to me. Are you crazy? Um, but instead, I feel like now I'm more focusing on the people who does help, who does open the door, who does give you a shot. And the other people, from I start, before that, I would give a lot of chances to people. I would always believe, I, I still believe in the good of people. I still believe we're all good. And I am a very trusty person. But now I'm way more aware. And when, like, if there you're is more a red conscious flag, and intentional about who you're spending your time with, who you're helping. Definitely. Like I am very, you know, I'm very conscious. Selective about, about who you're spending. I mean, this is important. This in business, we call this the Pareto principle, the 80, 20 rule. And it's commonly used with tasks. So what are the 20% of tasks that you do? Because those are going to generate 80% of the results, 80% of the revenue, 80% of the success for your business. Well, you could use that for people as well. And I run a men's retreat and we do this exercise actually where we identify who are your 80-20. Who's the 20% of people in your life that generate 80% of the impact, the love, the happiness, the joy, the fulfillment. And sometimes we, we get distracted and we lose sight of those 20%. And how do we, you know, come back and make sure we're being intentional and conscious and selective to only let certain people in our corner? That is a great exercise. And when we're done, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Deal. Make this. <laughs> yes. Because I am surrounded by a lot of people. All of my life, I always needed to be surrounded by a lot of people. And now with Corona, I find out that I don't need a lot of people. I love being surrounded by a lot of people. That's not going to change. I love it, but I don't need it anymore. I don't need an audience. I don't need a big group of people. I'm good with just a few that are really, truly, genuinely care about me and I care about them and I need me, first of all. First and foremost, I need me and small group of people and all the rest it's good to have but i don't have to have it anymore i like that i need me and when you take care of you you're better at serving others in the first place exactly exactly and that's you know i i'm the kind of person who always try to give and help and do over the top things that for me it's very easy to do but for others it can change your life and 
I sometimes I don't even realize that. I just got flowers last week. I was on a trip and I got flowers. My neighbor sent me a picture of these beautiful flowers and chocolates. I was like, what is this? Who sent it? And apparently it's a guy that five years ago, I got him a job that changed his entire life. And now he was like, I want to say thank you. And I was, wow, that's amazing. I didn't even remember. I had no idea what he's talking about. Um, you never know who you're impacting. And, and sometimes it's, it's such a beautiful, rewarding moment and when you can give back to someone and feel that gratitude. And it's, it's joyful. And you know, thinking about your journey and the success you've achieved, what do you think is the single most important attribute that got you to where you are today? Uh, I'm sorry, English is not my first language, so I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I fully understand what you're asking. So when you think of the reason that you are in the place that you're in now, the success that you've achieved, what do you think is the attribute or characteristic or trait that you have that allowed you to get there? So it's, again, the fact that I have no limitation, that I truly believe that everything is possible. I honestly believe that I can do anything and that if you work hard enough, if you believe hard enough, if you try enough times, it will happen. Like It, it sounds like you, you, when your parents were raising you, they had six children. They always say, you know, the first child, they're very hyper focused on the child, make sure everything's perfect. Oh my gosh, the child's doing it. Oh, they're doing that. Oh. And they're all over the place. And then second child, eh. It's all right. Third child. I mean, by the sixth child, they were like, just let her, you know, where is she? What school does she go to? No idea. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, again, growing up with older brothers and sisters, it was, I was a grown up since I was a baby. Like I, I did everything really fast. I was talking very fast. I did everything. I was very independent and I grew up because I grew up in a very community-oriented place, they will let me just walk around the neighborhood. I have, my mom keeps telling me this story. I was two or three, I don't know how old I was, and I got this really expensive gift from someone that came from abroad. It was a, 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 like a, a, a doll of a baby and, and, and a stroller. And I went with my neighbor that was just one year older than me just to walk around the neighborhood and someone stole my toy and my mom keeps talking about that because she was really upset and all i can think of how did you let me go how did you let two and three year old girls yeah, she's mad at you home? you're like a little child walking around how no, are you gonna no, fend for yourself she was mad about the person who took advantage of those two babies and i'm like we were babies how did you let us just walk around a lot like of trust. It was, it, it, exactly. But it was, that allowed you to be the entrepreneurial minded individual that you are today and the autonomy that you have today. And you think differently than a lot of people. You dream bigger than maybe your peers were dreaming at such an early age where they thought you were crazy. You were like, no, I see this. I have a clarity. I have a vision. I know, I know this with my heart. I feel it with my heart. And thinking on the flip side, knowing what you know now, what do you think is the biggest lesson you learned? that you maybe wish you learned sooner? Um, it's about what we just talked about, about self-love, about giving to yourself first and then others. Like, it's amazing to give to others, and I have so much to give, but first I need to make sure my cup is full. And it's not... In Israel, they teach us that self-love is a bad thing. If you love yourself, you're selfish. And I grew up like that. I grew up, I need to love everybody else. I need to give to everybody else all the time. And I love it. It makes me very happy. But first, I need to love myself. First, I need to give to myself. And all what I have left, and I have a lot of left, I can give to others. And that was a big lesson that I learned during Corona. And I'm very grateful. It, I might learn it late but it's better to learn late than later or never so what what is something that you do for that self-care self-love um i meditate more i write more i read more i am cooking my mom's food i didn't realize that 
food is a way to show love for me, but it is apparently. So I'm cooking my mom's food. Um, I'm giving myself what I need. If I need to rest, I will just rest. I will stop and rest. Before that, I would never do that. I would never take a nap during the day. There's not a chance. But today I'm like, okay, if my body is exhausted and I need to take a nap, I'll do that. If I just need to walk around my neighborhood and smell flowers, I'll do that. Like I more... You're just more in tune with listening to what you need, what your body needs, what your mind needs, and then you do it. Yes, exactly. That's the thing. I'm sure the listeners are curious to know about the production industry and the Hollywood industry and it's cutthroat and whatnot. And, you know, what's a common myth that you think is, is common about your industry and maybe that you can debunk or shed some light on or illuminate? What is the myth? Um, it's hard for me to answer that because I'm, my way in Hollywood is different than the traditional Hollywood way. When I just moved here, for example, what I did was to send emails to the biggest, like the CEOs of the biggest companies. And everyone thought I'm crazy. And they said, you're not in Israel. You can't just do that. You can't just reach out to people. But you know what? HBO CEO got back to me. Hulu CEO got back to me. RPA CEO got back to me. Sheryl Sandberg got back to me. People got back to me. And everyone was shocked. CEO of Facebook. Yeah, she did. And so you and did something that people didn't even think you could do, but you just went above and beyond. Yeah. And you I'm said, just, I, I can yeah, do it. Out to people, and you know, everyone said oh, you need an agent, you need a lawyer, you need that. No, if I want to do something, I'm just reaching straight to the person I need to talk to and say, Hey, that's what I want. How can you help? So, I'm not doing it the Hollywood way, I'm not going through all the red tape and, the the and then maybe someone, yeah, I'm not doing it, I'm not going on the path. What I'm Israeli. We yeah, I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you just take a different approach, a unique approach. And I call this the zigzag principle. When everyone's zigging, you should be zagging. Yeah. So when everyone's doing it one way, you go the other way. And people are like, oh, there's some shock value there. They're more intrigued. If you're getting an email the same exact way every time from 100 people, and then one email comes in a way that you were not expecting at all, it's going to stand out more than everybody else, all the other Joe Schmoes out there. You know? So what advice would you give to someone wanting to enter this industry, be an actor or uh, an executive producer, they want to work in this industry? What, what advice would you give them? First of all, breathe. Be aware that things take time and be willing to your goal. You need to 100% believe in yourself. You need to invest in you. That will be the best investment you'll ever make. And you need to keep believing because the minute you start believing, the minute you, you leave this crazy roller coaster, because it is a roller coaster, and you need to hold on very, very hard and tight to not fall off, fall off. You just need to breathe, believe, and keep trying. And it doesn't matter how many people would say no to you. You will hear a lot of no's. You will hear a lot of people that will treat you badly, people that will try to, to like, will treat you not with respect. Or you like that guy who was like a misogynist and he, I mean, it sounds like though he, actually gave you stress that ultimately made you tougher and stronger yeah. if you could handle this guy then you can handle anything and you were able to overcome that obstacle that challenge and i i've shared this quote in a previous uh podcast episode but i love it so much and it says good timber does not come with ease the stronger the wind the stronger the trees oh i love it so you become stronger through that stress and just like working out right you go to the gym your muscle gets bigger the more stress that you put it under and yeah. gets stronger and more endurance, for example. But if, you, if you're always taking the easy way or everything's comfortable at all times, your muscle's not going to grow. You're not going to get stronger. So sometimes I, I you need that. that. 
yeah, I always said in, in our comfort zone, there is no room for growth. Mm. So if you want to grow, you need to step out of your comfort zone. For me, it's crazy because comfort zone makes me feel very uncomfortable all the time. Like if I'm, when I'm reaching to my goal and I get there and I'm there, I feel uncomfortable. I feel like, okay, that's not for me. I need to move on. And that's why, that's why I moved here. I was, you, you got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yes. And when everything was getting comfortable in Israel, you're crushing it. You're like, oh, time to change. Yeah. Everyone thought I'm crazy. Everyone thought. Crazy. There's another quote it reminds me of her saying is, um, you success is just moving from one failure to the next without losing enthusiasm. And it sounds like you move from one obstacle, one challenge to the next without losing enthusiasm. And it, and it sounds like your enthusiasm became even stronger. Yeah. <laughs> so thinking about this hustle of like, you've been everywhere, you're doing amazing things. What's something scrappy you did to hustle that maybe you couldn't have revealed in the very beginning when you were first starting out, but you're willing to share now? Yeah. So when I was a student, I got into the Berlin Alley. It's top three festivals in the world, very prestige. And it was my first film festival, like except of the one that I had as a kid in high school, but that was the first big one. And I decided I'm doing it all right. I'm like going all in and I got clothes from a designer in Israel. And in exchange of her giving me the clothes, I promised her a picture of me on the red carpet. What I didn't know is the red carpet has two guards on each side 24-7. So you can't just go on the red carpet unless you're going in a big like Hollywood premiere. And I was like, okay, I have to do it. I promised her a picture. So I was wearing this beautiful blue dress and my hair was done, my makeup was done. And I came to the guard and I was like, very nice. It was right before an Hollywood premiere. And I was like, can you just have a few moments on the red carpet? I'll just take a few pictures and I'm, and I'm out. I promise I'll do it very quickly. And I was like, okay, okay, do it very fast, but just a few minutes. And I, I got into the red carpet and I started taking pictures. My friend was taking my pictures and people saw me with this dress on the red carpet right before the, the premiere is starting. So they thought I, might, I, I must be an actress. So they kind of start taking my pictures. And what I did was I start posing for them. And when I start posing for them, the paparazzi came and started taking my picture and start posing for the paparazzi. And I was like doing that and that and on my back. And, and the guard was laughing so hard that he couldn't even come and kick me out of there because he was so enjoying this moment. And since that moment, I was walking around in the Berlinale like I'm this famous actress. So I found myself going to parties and people asked to take pictures with me. And I started like for 15 minutes, I took pictures with people I don't know. And or like the paparazzi started to follow me and I will like try to avoid them. And, and <laughs> I'm wondering like after that, when the paparazzi came to the editors and gave them my pictures, they were like, probably, who is that? Who the fuck is that? But I was like, you I was totally. that role. I was like, yeah. And I got to every Hollywood premiere, every celebrity party, every, like, I was rocking it, pretending that, you know, I was flipping my, my badge because it was a student badge. You couldn't get me anywhere. And I was just pretending to be this famous person. And I totally assumed the role. And it's yeah. kind of like fake it till you make it. You assume the role and then eventually it did happen. And, and yes. you got to that celebrity status level. I wrote yes. them. That's a great story. And now we're gonna to transition into something I like to call the under 30 seconds round, a play off the Forbes 30 under 30. I'm gonna fire off some questions, answer with the first one that comes to mind. Are you ready? I am. What is the book you've gifted more often than any other book and why? Uh, oh, the places we will go, Dr. Seuss. That's my, still my guide, like I'm reading it. Every time I'm sad, I'm reading it and I'm giving it to every person that I believe in. That's a great one. What's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why? Uh, best investments is, again, it, with myself, taking the corona time to just invest in myself. Worst investment I ever did. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I'm trying to, to think which decision. 
it's harder for me it's hard for me to answer that because i truly believe that everything happened for a good reason so even if i'm doing something and it fails i always find like what good in comes the silver it. lining in it yes i always and you know what in every situation that's why when i'm not getting what i want and people are sad for me they can't understand why i'm not sad why i'm still happy because i know if i didn't get it or if I lost something, I know that it's for the best and a few months will pass or a year and then I'll find out what was the reason. I'm like, oh, that's the reason. So it's hard for me because I don't see anything as really bad. Like I see everything for good, like good or for the better, you know. Great mindset to have. What's the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine and the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine? So in Judaism, we have a gratitude moment when we go to bed and when we wake up and it's a blessing to basically just say thank you at, at night is to thank god for everything that happened and all the people in my life everything that happened that day or in general and to ask for everything that i want to come to me and in the morning we believe in judaism that when you go to sleep your soul is going outside of your body and when you wake up you're getting it back so you say thank you to god for giving my soul back in wow. my body and then you me i don't know about others but what i do is again say thank you for everything and asking for everything that i want beautiful so pretend you won the peter Thiel fellowship and you were going to get money to start a business instead of go to college Normally I ask, what's the very first thing you do to start your new business? In this case, I'll ask, what's the very first thing you do to start your new production facility so or if, entity? If I had that shot, and again, I believe that when I'll get to the point what I want to become in Hollywood, that's what I'll do. I would want my production company to be focused on minorities, immigrants, women, people that don't really get a proper screening time. I want to be like, I want to do for immigrants what Shonda Rhimes doing for black people and gay people. So I want to do it for immigrants and women and gay people and, and everyone that doesn't really, that it's harder for them to start. Um, so I'll start a, a company that will be focused on that. Beautiful. And What's the last one? What's the something you never knew you needed? Something I never knew I needed. Uh, I want to say again, self-love, but I feel like I'm talking about it too much. So I don't <laughs> think that I hated myself before. Because <laughs> I um, just again, taking care of me mm. first and and understanding that my the most important relationship i have is within myself yes thank you so much for being here today rotem before you go what is next for you what's the next big goal milestone or bucket list item you want to achieve i want to win an emmy i am working i'm writing a tv show right now i'm developing a tv show original one and i 100 percent, 2000 percent believe that I'm going to win an Emmy for it. And that's my goal now. That's like my vision. I keep talking about it. I'm looking at the Emmy award. Like I'm looking at the statue all the time. Like that's what I want. And this time I'm keeping it with me. I'm not giving it to my parents. My other Academy Award is at my parents' house. This time I want it to be on in my living room. You're um, already envisioned having it. And then you will have, you're manifesting it into reality. Yeah. I love it. You know, I was just, I was thinking about you because I watched um, the Israeli movie about the Israeli spy, Sasha Barra Cohen. Mm -hmm. um, in, it's called The Spy on Netflix. Yeah, I thought. Unbelievable and story. You know, it's a real story. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe it. when I started, I went down a rabbit hole of just researching everything. Yeah. I mean, it's basically for those listening, I won't spoil it for you, but it's a Israeli spy. It's a true story or based on a true story in he went into the Syrian government and just worked his way up. So definitely, definitely watch it. He was undercover for like eight years or something. Insane. Yeah.
it was I I was idol like he was my idol growing up. He, it's funny, him and Arnold Milchen were my two <laughs> idols. So you did have an idol that you looked up to, Sasha Baron Cohen. There we go. No, not Sasha Baron Cohen, Ellie Cohen. The, oh, okay. The, the, real, the, the real guy who he played. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. Yes. I always wanted to be a spy. Like, I knew I'm going to be a producer. I knew that's my calling. But if you would ask me up until two years ago, what do you want to be? Not what you are supposed to be. I would say, I want to be a spy. I want to work. <laughs> um where do listeners go to connect with you directly? Uh, they can find me on Instagram, rotem.alema, very simple. And what if they want to inquire about your work or they want to work with you on a production? Where can they go for your company website? So I'm really bad at it. I'm, I don't have a website. I like, because in, again, in Israel, I never needed those things. I never needed even a resume. It was I just, just a face-to-face -face interaction and contacts that you had. Well, see my work, reach out to me. Like, there you go. My biggest clients reach out to me through Facebook. The guy that gave me the shot to be at the film fund to give money to, to script, reach out on Facebook. Like, you know, it, it's, in Israel, it's so small and everybody knows you. So it's very, every, everyone is reachable. So you don't need all of those things. It's not part of our culture, but I definitely need to start working on that. <laughs> well, if someone's so, listening and you want to help Rotem, you know who to reach out to. She, well, So please go connect with Rotem. We'll put it in the show notes. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. This is Rotem Alima, who has her own production facility and once you to get into Hollywood and she's going to help you do that. We learned so much today. We learned how to get into Hollywood, how to get on the red carpet, even if you don't have the credentials to get there. <laughs> we learned about self-love. We learned so much. Um, Rotem is such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you, Phil. It was so great connecting with you. A lot of fun. Hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Have an amazing day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go, I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. Level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.